0: We're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ugwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, shout glory! All right, say hi to three people around you. It's nice to see you in church. I'm glad you came, and sit down if you can. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, welcome to church. It's nice to see you guys. Welcome to church. How was your week? How have you been? Happy new month. All right, let's get into the teaching this morning. When Brother Jason was leading prayers, he said, this is that kind of service. Well, if, you meant by t- if what you meant by that kind of service is teaching service, then you were right. Amen. In the past few weeks, the Holy Spirit has, more than ever, put on my heart an emphasis for the importance of Doctrine and teaching in the local assembly. And, um, of course, we've always been a teaching ministry. We've always been a teaching church. A church that places emphasis on doctrine and um, Bible teaching. But this month, more than any other month, the Holy Ghost has drawn to my attention instances and circumstances that have made me realize more than ever, the importance of teaching. Second Timothy chapter four verse two. Let me start from there. Second Timothy chapter four verse two. Um, I'm sorry, my voice is gone. I had a meeting. I've been busy all weekend, so my voice is. Second Timothy four two. Are you there? All right. If you can, everybody read Second Timothy chapter four verse two and three. Together, one, two, go. He says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. He says, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itchy ears. You know, this scripture, especially verse 3, is very popular. And many times when people quote 2 Timothy 4.3, they quote it in the context of, thank you, they quote it in the context of um, heaping to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And then they quote it as though um, the people who are heaping to themselves these teachers that have itchy ears are people who are immoral and are looking for teachers that would validate their immorality. You know what I mean? There's a way they quote that scripture. But there is another side to it that more recently, the Holy Spirit has drawn to my attention, and it is the not immoral Christians, but the Christians who seek esoteric knowledge, and we'll only listen to those teachers who give them esoteric. And if you don't know what the meaning of esoteric is, outlandish, out of this world, special type of knowledge that you can't really validate or verify with scripture. It's just, it sounds nice. So they heap to themselves those kinds of teachers. And so sound doctrine becomes um, a cake to them. During the course of the week, I I put up a tweet, a tweet thread, and since I put up that thread, it has been on my heart, and some of you must, if you saw it, raise your hand. If you follow me online, maybe Instagram or Twitter, raise your hand. If you don't follow me, let me let you know that after salvation, that is after (laughs) believing in Jesus Christ, the only other thing that can take a man to hell (laughs) is not following your pastor on social media. I'm just joking. (laughs) Please follow me. It's part of my platforms that I use for edification. All right, so please follow me. I'm begging. But if you, if you saw the thread, I did a thread on portals, dimensions, and, and the Holy Spirit is very interesting because this teaching series on the Holy Ghost, the teaching series this month is on the Holy Ghost. We've determined it since like March or February that we're going to do this series this month. and So the Holy Ghost gave me that thread that night, and it's like I, the thread was in preparation for this series. And there is a way a lot of people have reduced the Holy Spirit to falling under the anointing and sensationalism, how he makes me feel, you know. When we reduce the Holy Ghost to sensationalism, we rob ourselves of an important part of the Godhead. We do. And so, many people... Will not want to sit through a Holy Ghost teaching where where people are not falling down. We don't, in fact, we think a service is powerful only when people fall under the you know, those kind of like last week's service or miracle service. You know, that's so when you say, How was the service you say, My God, power everywhere, and we don't know the Danger in thoughts like that. You see, Papa Hagen said that there are many people who conflate or reduce the supernatural to the spectacular. And so, something as supernatural and as powerful as the teaching of God's Word has been reduced to nothing except there is a spectacular move during that meeting. So A lot of people will not think me a powerful preacher, except I'm preaching and in the middle of my sermon, one one person just screams, ah, from the back. Say, let her go now. Say, ah, if you see power. And the truth is, when we gather, like I taught you, each one has a sound, each one has a doctrine. So if we decide that every Sunday for the rest of our lives, we will have a Holy Ghost meeting, it will be like that. So as a preacher, you must discipline yourself to teach doctrine. Because this is the interesting thing. Believers cannot grow on Holy Ghost meetings alone. Do you hear what I'm saying? Believers cannot grow on Holy Ghost meetings alone. In fact, believers will not grow on Holy Ghost meetings. If Holy Ghost meetings are not an addition If you make them the main thing, the believer won't grow. The believer will grow when the teaching of God's word and doctrine is the main thing. So when you see Paul write to Timothy, it's interesting to note that Timothy was a pastor, the bishop in Ephesus. And he was Paul's spiritual son. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Be instant in season and out of season. Rebuke with sound doctrine. So, the the pastor is not to rebuke by saying, How can you do that? I'm very disappointed in you. The way the Bible instructs us to rebuke you is, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Spirit of God? You can't behave like this because this is what the Bible says about you. We must introduce you to sound teaching. Many people don't know how dangerous it is for us to not have regard for sound teaching. There's a meme that has been going around, making the rounds. Um, you must have seen it. The young man that said he wants to pray at night. And he was praying, Lord, I want to break into realms. I want to see men as trees. It's a funny meme. I get the point. But have you ever considered that, that phrase, there's a way when we heard him say, I want to see men as trees, we assumed he was talking about a realm of spirituality that is deep. Do you realize that the phrase was from when Jesus healed a blind man? So, seeing men as trees means you are blind, not that you are deep spiritually. God really has chosen the simple things of this world to confound the mighty. So, in the realm of the spirit, depth is simple. Simplicity is deep. Once it becomes too complex, you are too shallow. Do you understand? Ah, yes. So, Jesus meets this Pharisee, teacher of the law. And we we read John 3. And we think, um, I think it was Nicodemus. We think he was a simpleton. He didn't know anything. He was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And I was teaching in Abuja yesterday. And I explained, when you, the, the most things people know about Pharisees is that Jesus didn't like them. But there's something you need to know about them. From when they are 12 years old, they are made to memorize the Torah. So let me tell you what the Torah is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Do you know that it is easy to memorize Ephesians? There there's a pattern. Paul says this then. He says, Deuteronomy has no... In fact, when you read it, you're not memorizing. You're just reading it. You slip off. Right? They are to memorize those five books. They are to have it by heart. Then the Psalms and the Proverbs, they are to have them in their head. Like, so, you can meet any Pharisee at any point and ask him from any of the books, and he will tell you exactly what it says. They were mighty in scriptures. And this man stands before Jesus with all his seeming depth. And after you've read all the Torah, and you've read the Psalms and the prophets, you've read all of it, you, you, you begin to think, what must a man do to be saved? You see, because if it is by works, I qualify more than every other person. You know when David said, Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not, he's not? He wasn't speaking spiritually. Do you know? It was literal for him. He, they literally were made to wear the word of God and memorize it. It's not you that you say, Your word have I hidden in my heart, but you don't know where the verse is. <laughs> that wasn't David. He literally hid God's word in his heart. So now, If it is by works, these people qualify more than every other person to be saved. So Nicodemus confused. He knows Jesus. He says, good teacher, we know you are a man sent from God because we've seen all your works. No man can do the things you do except they are sent from God. We should know. We know all of scripture and we can't do what you do. So tell me, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, except a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. First of all, Jesus said, man is born again. The man is like, okay. I've had many things in my life. But this one is new. Should I go back into my mother's womb? How would that work? He says, except the man is born of water and of spirit. And he was still confused. So Jesus had to explain all the way to John 3.16. He says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. So with all your complexity and depth, As a Pharisee, the deepest truth that you were seeking was as simple as just belief. Do you understand? Don't be like those Christians who heap to themselves, teachers, with itchy ears. So when we say things that are simple to understand, you say that cannot be it. You make the mistake of Eve that God in his glory comes in the cool of the night to fellowship with you and talk to you and reveals all of himself to you. But then some serpent comes and says there's something God is hiding from you. And you've seen God, the serpent hasn't. You've talked to God, the serpent hasn't. But the serpent says, God knows if you eat of this fruit, you'll be as wise as he is. And immediately, you begin to think to yourself that there is something God is hiding from me. That something more. There must be more. We must be careful. Because I know in our brand of Christianity, we celebrate hunger. But there is a thin line between hunger, hunger and this um, insatiableness, for lack of a better word. And the line is, it doesn't matter how much you've been fed, you will still never be satisfied. And that's the danger with those types of doctrines. Listen, I I, I wish I could show you through my DMs. Since that thread, the number of people that have come to say, it's like you sent this thread for me. Because I've come to a point in my life where I'm like, see, God is hard to reach and I'm not trying again. Because now, we just finished a prayer series, um, was it last month or two months ago? Last month. And one of the things I taught you is if you will pray well, you will pray long, right? So we pray long. So it's not like we don't believe in long prayers. But when your long prayers are geared towards impressing God, do you know that you failed before you began? How do you want to impress God with your long prayers? How? (laughs) When your holy living is geared towards impressing God, you failed before you began. Do you know that no matter how much good you do, you cannot be good enough for God? Your goodness is cute to him. Oh, no, you're cute. You try, you try. So imagine if your, very, your every pursuit, your, your everything you do every day is so that I will impress God. Imagine if God depended on how good we are to be impressed by us. He doesn't like sin in any form. So the little lie you tell, that you think eh, everybody lies, he doesn't like it. Okay, let's say you don't even lie. God judges you in words, in thoughts, and in deed. Thoughts. Thoughts that sometimes you don't control. Thoughts. This is why sound doctrine is important. Because when you have been taught that God is pleased with you, before you even started in Christ, you are His righteousness. He has called you righteous. He's pleased with you in Christ. So He has given you a springboard to operate from. Your holiness and your holy living is not to impress God. Your holy living is because He has enabled you to live holy. Where you is different now, because you won't make a mistake and start thinking to yourself that ah, I was on six thousand points before. But this one I've done now, I've fallen to like 20. I have to start again. And I know how hard I worked to get to 6,000. Joseph Prince says something. He says, right believing leads to right living. Right believing leads to right living. If you don't believe the right thing about God, you can't live right before God. That's the truth. If you don't believe the right thing about God, you can't live right before God. You will continue to struggle. You will continue to suffer for no reason. Like I said, I think I said it on Thursday, a lot of people will get to heaven on the last day and be shocked. Pinch me. Am I dreaming? I'm in heaven. I thought I would not be here. Why? Because they didn't know the right truth. And... When we get to heaven, finally, we would look back in regret to the way our relationship with God went because we didn't know the right truth. So, as believers, we must pay attention more than anything else to sound doctrine. Listen, even more than prayer, you must pay attention to doctrine. Because if you don't have sound doctrine, you won't pray right. It's not possible. Do you know what I'm talking about? You won't pray right. When we shift too much, and and the thing is that doctrine is such a thin line, it's easy to fall off to either side. We can preach the righteousness message that it becomes licentiousness. And then it takes away all the reverence that we should have for God. That's when you now see people talking to God and calling him brush J. You know, or people that call God um, my boo. Daddy, it's cute, it's not biblical. There's an amount of reverence for God that we must never do away with. I know you are close to God, just don't get too familiar. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's the extreme one extreme end, then another extreme end where they can't call God Father, He must be eternal, rock of ages, ancient. So you can't conceive God as your friend when you say God is my friend, you say, Ah, Nibo, friend, where. Not possible look. Another extreme. We must walk the thin line. So when Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life. He wasn't saying that line is very hard. No. He was saying, there are many options that lead to death. But the one that leads to life is one. For that reason, if you were comparing it to a road, the options that lead to will be, death will be very wide. But the one that leads to life will be extremely narrow. And you must walk on that road. But the beautiful thing about the one that leads to life is that you will take his yoke upon you and give him your own yoke. Why? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Are you getting what I'm saying? Any salvation teaching that makes you think so much that you are responsible for your own salvation has taught you wrongly. But any salvation teaching at the same time that presents it as though you have no responsibility in salvation has also taught you wrongly. Are you getting what I'm saying? We must walk the line very carefully. And even when it comes to the Holy Ghost, there are many teachings out there about the Holy Ghost. Many things people say about who the Spirit of God is. Many things. But we must be careful to dissect through Scripture what the Bible says and what the Bible does not say. I would rather pastor a church that people don't like because they are too, they they stick to the word too much and pastor one that allows anything fly. Just say whatever you want to say. We are all one. You see, because it is easier to adjust the extreme of being too religious with the word, and tone it down, than to get you to come from a place where you have no reverence for the word to where you should in the right proportion. It's easier. It's easier. There must be, there has to be, within our local assemblies, and not just this local assembly, but within the body of Christ generally, an adherence to scriptural teaching. So, I, I was listening to a preacher the other day, and he was talking about how, he was talking about realms, portals, he was talking about the realm of the spirit, and he started to talk about Power Rangers, in the realm of the spirit, and aliens, and Avengers, and now, yeah. Popular man of God, by the way. This was a while ago, so I think he has revised his opinion on these things. He was talking about how all of these things are demons in the realm of the spirits. He may be right. He may be wrong. But if you understand how Bible teaching should be done, you will realize that those are things you will only say to your friends. Maybe God showed you a revelation. You just call one, two, three friends and say, see what God showed me. And that's the end. But to stand on a pulpit and preach it, then people now make a doctrine out of it and run with it. And you know, church people will embarrass you. Because they often don't stop where you stopped. They will take it a little further. They must. It's true. And we created, because of our lack of adherence to proper scripture, we created factions and cults within Christianity, and we don't know it. When a preacher preaches his personal preferences as Bible doctrine, or a preacher is, preaching, a preacher is preaching um, a personal revelation or instruction from God to him. As what everyone should. do, And we'll mask it and say what he says to one, he says to all. That's not true. Because um, when Judas was about to betray Jesus, Jesus said, whatever you want to do, do quickly. <laughs> so what he says to one, he says to all. So there's a believer who's attempting suicide. And then an angel now appears. And the believer says, have you come to stop me? I say, no, what he says to one, he says to all i just going to remind you of what he said to Judas. Whatever you want to do, do it quickly. We can't apply scripture in that way. We must, be, we must be careful with scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm sorry I'm starting the teaching this way because I know a lot of people expected this teaching series to be fire, fire everywhere. People falling. And, and we may have that during the teaching series. But trust me. The emphasis this month is on teaching, proper teaching. Who is the Holy Ghost? What does it mean to receive the Spirit? Do you understand? If you don't know what it means, don't assume you do. And that's one thing that's eating into the body of Christ, the assumption. And someone has rightly said, assumption many times is the mother of frustration. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 6. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 6. Are you there? It says, um, okay. It says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Hold on. Another thing I want to tell you is this. It is okay and even necessary to judge ministers and pastors on the scale of morality. Do you understand what I'm saying? How moral is this person? When we have moral failings, um, there are some failings that you look at and just handle with some level of grace. But There are some failings that you have to wonder, how did you allow yourself to get this far? It's okay to judge ministers on the scale of morality. But at the same time, there is a more important skill that God uses to judge his servants. And we see that skill in 2 Timothy 2.15. We see it here also. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So if a minister does not rightly divide the word of truth, the Bible prescribes for him to cover his face in shame. Paul speaking here says, if you put the present in remembrance of these things, he says, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So if you do not consistently teach These things, and these things, there will be sound doctrine. If you do not consistently teach sound doctrine, you are not a good minister of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says next. He says, nourished by, nourished up in the words of faith and of what? Come on, chorus it, and of what? Good. So good doctrine nourishes. Do you hear what I'm saying? It nourishes, it refreshes. It's healthy eating. You know, just like in the natural, there's junk food. In the spiritual, there's junk food also. And junk food is not necessarily poison. So, we are quick to make distinctions between poisonous food in the, in the realm of the spirit, referring to movies you shouldn't watch, songs you shouldn't listen to, things that promote the ideals and ide- ideas and ideals of the devil. Those are poisonous things. But there is also junk. Do you understand? Junk food. When somebody begins to exhort you, you know, when we turn scripture to a motivational book, so no no, um, reverence for context. What was the writer trying to say? Do you get what I'm saying? We just turn it to a motivational book, regardless of what is going on. So the scripture that says... um, um, put your yoke upon me and take my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. They will say, cast all your yoke upon Jesus for he cares for you. And instead of, now there is a place of teaching he cares for you, as in he cares for your needs and he will supply. But that must come after we've given proper context to the care there is salvation. You understand uh, if we only pay attention to Jesus loves you, He wants you to live your best life now, your wealth, health, and best life now. That's what is Jesus is. We're feeding you junk. Do you hear what I'm telling you? If I'm always teaching you that God will prosper you, God will uh, because He lives, you can face tomorrow and all of those things. And I don't explain to you that Jesus says in this world you will face tribulations. I am teaching you junk. I'm feeding you a lot of junk. Now, this is the thing about junk. Junk food is not in itself bad food. Junk food is what you need in the wrong proportion. Do you understand? Bread is not bad. God knows bread is not bad. Because I love bread so much. Bread is not bad. But bread, if you are like me, and, and there are some of you like me, don't judge me. That they give you a loaf of bread and in one sitting, depending on your, your mood, you can finish it. It becomes junk to you. You've been waiting to shade me, have you? You've been waiting to shade. say <laughs> don't they time me. <laughs> in one sitting, you can finish it. It becomes junk. It's carbohydrates. Carbohydrate is good for you. You need it to grow. But it becomes junk in the wrong proportion. Is that right? That's how teaching is too. God cares for you. Your material needs is true. You need it because God knows there are times when you need to know that God cares for your material needs. That is not just a suffer, suffer for world enjoyment in heaven. Like Fela said. Right? There will be times when God will favor you. That's true. We believe in divine favor. But if I don't explain to you that not all successes come from favor, you also need to work the Bible prescribes. I'm feeding you junk. Not because favor is bad for you, but favor in that quantity is not good for you. Is that right? So good doctrine nourishes. In fact, in the New Testament, when you see the phrase sound doctrine, that word sound is the Greek word hugiaino, and it means healthy, as in healthy eating. Healthy doctrine. So there is a way doctrine will be coined that it will be unhealthy. I'm taking time to establish this because there is is an epidemic that's spreading in the body of Christ. Even in the so-called Christocentric circles where we don't pay attention to what the Bible has said. In fact, we seem to celebrate novelty that is new things more than we celebrate truth. And if somebody says something Provided it is new to you, then you conclude it's the truth. That's why this arrogant person called Daddy Freeze came out some time ago and lied to the whole body of Christ. Lied to everyone because everything he thought was nonsense. I can say that categorically because I know scripture. I've been teaching the proper thing years before he found what he was teaching. So he came out and said, did you know you were supposed to eat your tithe? Raise your hand if you heard that. You are supposed to eat your tithe. In the Old Testament, there were three types of tithes. There was the Lord's tithe. There was the tithe for the priests. And there was your own personal tithe. You pay the Lord's tithe once every year. You give the tithes for the priests every time you have a harvest. And then you have your own personal tithe that you drag, you take and go to the church, the temple and eat. Just one out of three. But he said, no, they will not tell you. They are lying to you. They are supposed to eat your tithe. And everybody lapped up. They say, the teacher in our time. Rema. Do you know the amount of danger you are doing to the body when you teach such lies? Listen. I'm not one to fight about people's money. You know. In this church, we're very careful to ask for money, you know. But I will be doing you a disservice if I don't teach you generosity, because generosity is one of God's ways to tamper the hold that money has on you. You know that, right? From personal experience and from Scripture, I've learned something. When I become too attached to a thing, the Lord asks me to give it away, so that you, it doesn't have so much. It doesn't have that amount of hold on your heart, that you begin to worship it. So, when somebody comes out and teaches on giving in such a way that it doesn't make the believer responsible for the work of God, it doesn't make the believer responsible for the things of God, you are creating a problem in the body of Christ. You are. You are. So we, 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 let's not get so carried away that we begin to assume that new teaching is right teaching. Be like the church in Berea. That after Paul had taught, they went back to sit down and they said, is this what the Bible actually says? Many people don't do that. Many of the people who were um, following the defreeze And shouting that those of us who follow other pastors, we are Because we just listen to whatever our pastors say. We are guilty of committing the same crime. They would never go back and check the Bible. He would say something, they would lap it up and start shouting and arguing up and down. For goodness sakes, he could have come out to say, Heaven helps those who help themselves. And they said, Word. Preacher in our time. For context, that, that phrase is not in the Bible. Praise the Lord. In this teaching series, we'll seek to establish four things. The promise of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit, and the practice of the Spirit. So the, the promise of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the purpose of the of the Spirit, and the practice of the Spirit. Um, this is a teaching series on the Holy Ghost. Let's start from Numbers chapter 11, verse 25 to 29. Numbers chapter 11, from verse 25 to 29. Praise the Lord. Are you there? All right. And the Lord came down in a cloud, and spake unto him, that's Moses... And took off the spirit that was upon Moses and gave it to the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit came upon, rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. Verse 26. But there remained two of the men in the camp. Do you, did you ever have friends in secondary school or university that used to stab everything? They used to stab, they didn't go for classes. They didn't. These two men were like that um one of them was elder and the other midad and the spirit rested upon them and they were of them that were written but were not out unto the tabernacle and they prophesied in the camp so the 70 were in the tabernacle or 68 they had written 70 names 68 of them were in the tabernacle but elder and midad were in their house or in the camp sleeping or doing whatever and the Spirit of God fell upon the 68 in the tabernacle. And also on them. Because God does not say, because you stabbed, I won't give you. Alright. Alright. And um, when it fell on them, they prophesied. Others were prophesying in the tabernacle. But these two were prophesying in the camp. Now this is where I want us to pay attention. Verse 27. Everybody read verse 27 together one to go. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said... El and me do prophesy. <laughs> so he went to report that Moses, Moses, you will never believe what is happening. These two people that were stabbing class, they are prophesying in the camp. You know those people that will go and call the teacher when the period, let's say we have mathematics for seventh period in secondary school. And the teacher has not come. Ten minutes into the period, everybody's making noise. The person will now stand up quietly. You will not know where they are going to. They will just leave class. Pastor Chisholm looks like she was one of those people. they just leave class and go to staff room and say, Sir, they're making noise in our class. I just came to remind you that it's your period. That was this guy. He ran to Moses. And he went to report, these two people are prophesying in the camp. And this was Moses' reply. Moses now said this, uh, verse 28, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. How can they? Tell them to stop. Verse 29, And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Do you know what that question means? So these people ran to say these people were prophesying because they felt like if there's any other person prophesying in the camp, they must be usurping Moses' authority. Moses' prophetic authority. And Moses is like, are you jealous because of me? Why are you taking Panadol for my own headache? He says, envious thou for my sake. He says, I woe to God that all the Lord's people were what? And that the Lord will do what? Put his spirit. And so we see Moses sort of prophesy something unique that was going to happen. He says, I look forward to the day when all of God's people will be prophets. You see, because in the Old Testament, and many pastors still want to retain that model in this day. In the Old Testament, you had one man that was the anointed. And nobody else had the spirit rest upon them. And so, everybody depended on that one man to receive the counsel of the Lord. Everyone depended on that one man to know what God was thinking or saying in any time. But Moses was like, and I can get why Moses said this. He was not just, he was wishing this, but it became a prophecy. And why he would have wished this is, if you are one prophet over three million people, you will never rest. Do you know, so let everybody go and be hearing God for themselves so that me I will get some rest. So Moses says I would to God that all of God's people will be prophets. Hallelujah. So Moses prophesied the pouring out of God's spirit. It happened again in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36:26. Ezekiel 36:26, are you there? He says, a new heart also will I give you. So, this was Prophet Ezekiel prophesying as the Lord was giving him utterance. He says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. He says, I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a new flesh. Now, you need to understand that when Prophet Ezekiel said this or wrote this, it was strange. It was strange because... At this time, nobody had the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. So you read about Elijah, or you read about Moses, or you read about these prophets, and the phrase you will always see is, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they began to prophesy. Nobody, had, nobody was, you know, the resident address to God's Spirit. That's so the Spirit of God lives in me now. Nobody could say that. So when Ezekiel said this, it was a strange prophecy. What do you mean the Spirit of God? I'll put a new spirit within you. What does that mean? Do you understand? Strange prophecy. Joel goes ahead. Joel takes it up a little bit. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Joel 2 28. I'm speeding through the teaching. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Next verse. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. I like this verse, of, these two verses or this prophecy about the pouring out of the spirit or this promise about the giving of the spirit. I like it for one reason. The writer makes sure To include everybody. Do you get it? It says your sons and your daughters. But then I said sons and daughters. You may think it's just for young people. So your old men and your young men. Okay, sons, daughters, old men, young men. You may think the servants don't. It says the servants and the handmaids. Everybody go collect. Do you understand? So the promise of the Spirit from the Old Testament, was for everyone. Are you getting this? Was for everyone. And then in Jesus' ministry, Jesus began to take it a step further. Now, here's something you need to learn about the Spirit of God. I'm going to teach this when I'm talking about the person of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is an active spirit. And one way you know is because every time you see a promise of the giving of the Spirit, it was always followed with what he will do through the people who have received him. So I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. He says, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions by the work of the spirit. So Jesus takes it a step further in John chapter fourteen, verse twenty-six. Put up John fourteen twenty-six, or is it John fourteen sixteen? John 14, 16, please, not 26. I mixed it up in my head. All right. It says, and I will pray to the Father, and he shall send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, the word another comforter in the Greek is the phrase alos parakletos. And I'm sure you've heard it before. Alos, that is A-L-L-O-S. Parakletos, that is a k l e t All right. And it, what it basically means was Jesus was saying, I would pray the Father and he will send you another like me. Are you following what I'm saying? So when he called the Holy Spirit comforter, it's not that the Holy Spirit will come to empathize with you. We must rightly dif- um, discern these things. So it's not like you are going through a tough season and you're not saying do do don't cry. Do, if you cry now, me too, I'll cry you. Now, does the Holy Spirit bring comfort? Yes. But there is a way he does it. All right? And we'll explore that from scripture. When he called the Holy Spirit comforter, he was calling the Holy Spirit comforter. Um, and let me put it like this. I've explained to you several times why when we teach, we would often quote what the Greek was or the Hebrew was. And the reason we do that is not so that we'll sound deep, but because the, when Jesus was saying this, he didn't say it in English language. Do you get it? He said it in Hebrew. And then the people who wrote, wrote in Hebrew, then they translated it to Greek. And then from the Greek, they brought it to the English language. And as it is with many languages, sometimes exact meaning may be lost in translation. Is that right? Exact meaning may be lost in translation. Do you ever watch a Yoruba movie? And raise your hand if you watch Yoruba movies. Raise your hand above your head. Please can the rest of the church just stretch your hands towards them and just (laughs) I'm just joking, please. I was joking. But you so if you watch Yoruba movies, you would have you would have these experiences when you're watching the movie where, especially if you are like me and you are Igbo. And your understanding of Yoruba is very, very shaky. There are some things you know, some things you don't know. So you just hear the person say like 30 sentences back to back. For two minutes, they are saying something. Then you just see greetings. Right? That's how they do it, right? Nice. Just see greetings. Like, bro, we want to know what they are greeting with. <laughs> Sometimes in translation... Um, exact meaning is lost, but you can understand when you now have the original context and the original language and a sort of understanding of the original language. You can then understand, oh, this is what the person was trying to communicate. So when the Holy Ghost was called Comforter here, it's not because he's he's the you know some people have said that the Holy Spirit is the empathetic part of the Godhead, is the part with feelings, the emotional part. Of the Godhead. All of the Godhead is emotional. I mean, God is love. Right? Uh-huh. So the Holy Ghost is not the loving part of the Godhead. Amen. There's no such parts. All of them love. Jesus is love. God is love. The Spirit is love. All of them are love. or is love. So, so you know both statements make sense? Because the Trinity is very, very interesting.
1: So when he says he will
0: give you another comforter, why, why, did he, why did Jesus call him comforter? Because he had just told them he was going away. All right? He had just told them he was leaving. And so he was saying, I won't leave you and just leave you sad without helping or without comforting you. That you will, I won't be with you. So I will send another that is just like me. To come and be your comforts that I left. Do <laughs> You understand? Uh-huh. To come and be your comforts that I left. Because he will just be like me. And he says, um, and he will abide with you forever. So that one will never go. Do you understand it now? Not that the Holy Ghost is your, when I'm sad. Now, when you are sad, do you pray? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit comfort you? Yes, he does. But not in the way you think he should. Because some people will say, I was so sad, the Holy Spirit just told me to go and take ice cream. It may have been your emotions, right? How does the Holy Ghost comfort? Primarily through the Word. Do you understand? So, you know, in those sad seasons, when the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart begins to tell you, don't worry, God is still with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You still have a help. And he starts to comfort you by giving you scripture or by pointing you to scripture. That's the the comfort he gives.
1: What the Holy Spirit just
0: gave me, this. I've heard weird things. You know, a man of God said that when you are a pastor, no pastor is really his age. Because the moment you do ministry for one year, three years have been added to your age. Because of the things you will see and hear, I've heard things. I've heard that I was sad, then I just felt the Holy Spirit giving me a hug. That's very cute. (laughs) But it's not true. All right, And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. Even so now this comforter is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you. Can you see what Jesus is doing? Now, ideally is there any way to see a spirit answer me now answer me so there's no way right so when he said the world does not see him was he referring to the world does not see the spirits or the world does not see me a or b Think carefully. Remember, the phrase comforter is, I paracletus, another me. Are you getting it? So Jesus is playing on words when he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Why do I say it seeth him not? Because I'm here and they cannot see me. And they know him not. Why do I say I'm here, they don't know me. Well, you know him. The people he was talking to hadn't received the spirit. Is that right? And he was just teaching them about the Spirit for the first time. Which means the hymn that he was saying they know was him, Jesus. For he dwelleth with you. So at the time, I am with you. But here's something interesting that will happen. I will also be in you. So he says, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This was another promise of the Spirit. And then after this, Jesus started to build other teachings on this. So John 15, 26, which was what I confused this scripture with. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of of Truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of... Now, verse 27. And And you shall also, and you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is telling them something important. That when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will testify of me in you. And then because he has testified of me in you, you will be a witness of me because you've been with me in the beginning. You see this play out in Acts chapter 1. When they wanted to pick a new disciple, they said from um, the baptism of Jesus till the going out of Jesus, that still is essential. Let us pick one who had walked with him. That's Acts 1, I think, 21 to 28. All right. So you see this thing Jesus is saying here, play out. Now, John 16, that's the next chapter, verse 14. I think it's verse 14. Verse 13, please. It says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, hold on. When the Bible says he will guide you into all truth, Jesus didn't say there is no truth that I have taught you. When the Spirit comes, he will teach you all the truth that I haven't taught you. But rather, he was saying he will guide you into the fullness of truth. Why? Put up verse 12 so you can understand. I can give you some context. Come on, media team. Everybody read verse 12 together Want to go. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. When Jesus was saying you cannot bear them now, What was the difference between the now he was talking about and the later that the Spirit of truth will come? His resurrection and ascension. There were so many things that hinged, in fact, the entirety of the Christian faith hinges on his resurrection and ascension. So, as much as Jesus had taught them in parables, they would have never fully understood the parables Jesus spoke until he was raised from the dead. Do you understand? So now, he says, you cannot bear them now, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, I've been talking to you about since chapter 14, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, hold on, let's not rush through. When he says he will not speak of himself, But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. What is it talking about? If you track back to 1526, track back please, John 1526. He says, but when the spirit of truth is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth which you will send from the Father, he shall do what? He shall do what? Verse 27. Come on, verse 27, quickly, please. He says, for the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I come out from God. So when the spirit of truth comes, the work of the Holy Spirit primarily was to give testimony to the work of Jesus in the life of his disciples and by extension, the believers. That's why he said he will not speak of himself, but he will testify of me. John, the apostle, teaches this. In a different way. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. First John chapter 4 verse 1. Everybody look to the screen. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. But what? Try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone into the world. First of all, take note that he didn't tell you. I want to say something very petty. Forgive me. Oh, he didn't tell you that false prophets are false prophets because they use relaxer on their hair. Did you hear? Verse 2 gives you the criteria. There's a way to test people who are false prophets. Let me tell you something. A false prophet, let me, let me say it this way. A person who teaches, or a person can teach a wrong teaching and not be a false teacher. Do you understand? Do you understand? In the same way, a person can prophesy and maybe miss the details. That doesn't make the person a false prophet too. Be careful what you call people. The Bible has definitions for these things. It says, test every spirit. Please go back to verse 1 so that we can read it through. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone into this world. And then verse 2 now says, Hereby know ye the spirit of God. This is how you know the Spirit of God. And um, in so doing, this is how you test false prophets. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is what? Verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Another news flash: The Antichrist is not, first of all, a person. Because it seems like every time there's a U.S. election, the incoming president is the Antichrist. When it was Barack Obama, he was the Antichrist. Then it was Donald Trump, we updated it. Now we have Antichrist 3.0 in Joe Biden. The Antichrist is not first a person. The Antichrist is first a spirit. And as at the time Paul was writing, which was more than a thousand plus years ago, he said that spirit was already in the world. And what is that spirit? The spirit, you know, when people think of the Antichrist, they first of all think of 666. The devil will deal with people. Because the things that we expect him to do, he knows. And he's smart. So he won't do them. Amen. He won't do them. Many people have been given to Antichrist spirits because they cannot descend. They've been waiting for somebody to come up and say 666, one world government. Then, then they say, ah, that, that must be the Antichrist. And yet they've been given to Antichrist spirits without knowing it. Any spirit that does not confess that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Praise the Lord. So the spirit doesn't have to put uh, you say we are sharing Christians, eh? We can be so gullible. We can be so gullible. Somebody got up and said the COVID 19 vaccination is the mark of the beast. And we lapped it up. Say yes, Rema. We must be very discerning. Do you hear what I'm saying? We must be discerning. So, when somebody says, ah, it's Antichrist, though They're trying to initiate us into brotherhood of darkness. You, you ask yourself, what is the Bible's teaching on Antichrist first? Let's start from there. If what the Bible has taught and what you are showing me, they mirror each other how ah, is the Antichrist, too. They're really trying to initiate us into brotherhood of darkness. But if the Bible says... That the Antichrist must confess that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And you need to understand that it doesn't have to be this phrase, All right, When the Bible says, any spirit that confesses not that Jesus came in the flesh, it's talking about any spirit that does not agree in the birth, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because that's what it means that he came in flesh. He came to die, and then after he died, he died to be resurrected. So, if you don't agree in the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are antichrist. Amen. Amen. So the false prophet is not the one that said that April 26th they will call off Asu Strike. Then April 26th, they did not call off the Asu strike. You now say false prophets. He was just misguided. He made a mistake. He's a man like you. And do you know the funny thing? The devil knows that we want, we are looking for who to crucify. So, he will, he will spearhead the agenda. Make sure that man trends under the title false prophet. Praise the Lord. But I deviate. This was the test for the spirit that came from God. Alright? He must confess the work of Christ. So, when Jesus was saying he won't speak of himself... He was saying when he comes, he will confess the work of Christ. He will, he will guide you into all truth. What he will teach you is not, I'm fine, and I'm the spirit of emotions. You know, a lot of people will say that we pay a lot of attention to the Father, we pay a lot of attention to the Son, but we don't pay a lot of attention to the Spirit. Even the Spirit does not pay a lot of attention to himself. He speaks of the Father's walk in the Son. Are you getting this? Yes, they agree in that way. The Holy Spirit is never going to wake up one day and now say, Okay, you know, I've been teaching you about Jesus, but let me tell you a little bit about myself. Do you know I have blue hair? I'm sure you didn't know that about me. (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right, one more scripture. Luke 24, 49. Actually, it's not one more. Luke 24, 49. I promise you will wrap up soon. I'll try. And it says, And behold, I sent the promise of my father. By now, you should know what that promise is. What's the promise? All right. It says, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in Jerusalem or in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so they went to tarry. Is that right? They went to tarry. And we see the effect in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were what? And they were what? One more time. And they were what? Good. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. So, the promise had been made from ages long, times past, There had been several promises. There is a spirit of God that is coming. There is a spirit that is coming upon you. And then even Jesus makes those promises. Moses prophesied, Joel prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied, Jeremiah prophesied, David prophesied. All of them were prophesying. And Jesus came. He said, I will send you a spirit. And then he told them finally, wait in Jerusalem. The spirit is going to come. And then the spirit did come in Acts chapter 2. And maybe next week or upper week, I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues and I'll pay more attention to speaking in tongues. I'll talk about it a little today, but pay more attention then. But this is something I want to show you Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 38. So, this is the backdrop to the scripture you're about to read. So, these people were speaking with tongues, and a couple of people heard them speaking tongues in their own language. And they, they, they rejoiced and celebrated God. But someone us heard them and said, ah, oh, these people must be drunk. Now how can they be drunk by this time? And so Peter got up and he began to speak. He said, men and brethren, we can't be drunk. It's only the ninth hour of the day. This thing that you are seeing is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that he will pour out the Spirit upon all flesh and we will speak with new tongues. He, he so. It is by Jesus that we can do all these things. This Jesus that you chose to crucify, he has poured out, poured forth his spirit, and by so doing proven that he is Lord and Messiah. And the Bible says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, everybody read the next line together once ago. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they realized, oh, we've made a mistake. We killed the Messiah. And these guys are speaking with tongues and it's beautiful to behold. What shall we do? How can we get in on this? Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, number one, what? Hold on. The meaning of the word, I will say this as many times as I need to for you to understand it. The meaning of the word repent is not stop doing bad things. Of course, you need to stop doing bad things. But that's not what repent means. Repent means to change your thinking. Do you understand? Change your mindset. And I will always say, that's the reason why you read the book of Genesis, after God destroyed the world with the flood. The Bible says that God repented. It's not that God was doing a bad thing. All right, he just changed his mind about it. Okay? So when he says repent, he's telling them to shift their mindset about Jesus. You used to see him as a troublemaker, as a disturber of the peace, as a whatever, shift your mindset about Jesus. And he says, and be baptized. I explained baptism on Thursday. I can't explain it now. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And what will happen? And what will happen? So here's something important you must learn that salvation and the receiving of the Spirit are one and the same. Do you follow? Peter says, repent. We baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. So the byproduct of repentance, and how do you repent? You know, um, when you repent and you've shifted your mindset about Jesus, the next thing you do is you believe in Him, right? So once you've believed... The byproduct of believing, or not even the byproduct, the product of believing in Jesus is the receiving of the Spirit. Do you hear? So if there's anybody in the room who wasn't saved when they walked into the room, and then after this teaching, I do an altar call, and I say, if you want to be saved, raise your hand, and they, they come out, and then we say a prayer with them, and they go back. They have received the Spirit. Are you getting me? This is why Jesus could make this statement. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils and they would what? Now, we know for a fact that speaking in tongues is an evidence of the receiving. Not the evidence, but an evidence of the receiving of the Spirit. Is that right? He says everyone that believes will cast out devils and speak with tongues. So, at the moment we accepted Jesus, we received the Spirit. Why am I placing emphasis on this? Because in some circles, they separate the two experiences. There is a salvation experience and there is a Holy Ghost baptism. Do you understand? As though when you were saved, you did not receive the Spirit. So, now that you are saved, you now need to go back and receive the Spirit. But, pastor, there are people who don't speak with tongues until they go through a Holy Ghost baptism. And that's because they were not taught that they can speak with tongues. You see, because typically at a Holy Ghost baptism, what you do is teach them that they can speak with tongues. After which you pray with them and they start speaking with tongues. It means that if... The person who came out came here and I said, you are now saved, you have the Holy Ghost. It means that you can do everything. You can, you can speak with tongues, you can cast out devils. Do you understand? Say, yes. Say, church, let's just join him and speak with other tongues. He'll speak in tongues then. So, what people call the Holy Ghost baptism is more or less an activation of a dormant gift that has always been there. Do you understand? Because the Holy Ghost is more than tongues. So, if the person came out here and received salvation, and walked back, and suddenly, the things they used to do, they do them no more. The things they used to do, the only reason that that can be their reality is because the Holy Spirit has changed them from the inside out. So, they've received the Holy Ghost. They are just not speaking with tongues yet. They just need to be taught. Are you following? All right. Um, Acts chapter 3. I just want to buttress this point. This is I will read after Acts 3. I'll read one more scripture and then we'll wrap up. Acts 3:17 to 20. It says, And now, brethren, I what that through ignorance you did it. As I know that through ignorance you did it. He so was talking about how they killed Jesus, and as did your rulers. But those things which God beforehand showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he had so fulfilled. So even if you killed him in ignorance, it was already prophesied and it has been done. So don't be angry. Verse 19. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be what? So now, Acts 3.19 and Acts 2.38 are they the same scripture. In Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And what was the resultant effect? And you will receive... The gift of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? So now he says, repent and be baptized. Come on up, Go back. Go, okay. And repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of... What does he refer to as times of refreshing? Chorus it. Amen. Uh-huh. So it's the same thing. You repent, you are baptized... You receive the Holy Ghost. Are you getting it? Yes, sir. You repent, you are baptized, you receive the Holy Ghost. He, so it wasn't you repent, you are baptized by 5 p.m. today, we'll do Holy Ghost baptism. Everybody should come. Amen. Amen. One more scripture. 1 Corinthians 12 13. 1 Corinthians 12:13. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know why I like this scripture? Because it answers the question of baptism and Holy Ghost baptism. It answers the two of them at the same time. Everybody read 1 Corinthians 12 13 together. One, two, go. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. So, how did we join the body of Christ? By one Spirit. Are you getting what I'm saying? I belong to the body of Christ when I have received the Holy Ghost. So the real Holy Ghost baptism is the salvation experience. Are you getting this? The real Holy Ghost baptism is what? I'll ask one more time. The real Holy Ghost baptism is what? What? So if you see someone who is a believer and they say, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, I worship God, I serve God, but I don't pray in tongues. The problem is not that they haven't received the Holy Ghost. There is no way <laughs> that they believe in Jesus except that they've received the Holy Ghost. Are you guys know what I'm saying? There is no way they serve God. Um, Paul is speaking in, I think it's Philippians 3.3. Is it Philippians 3.3? where am circumcision so sure who serve God by the Spirit. Good. Philippians 3.3, 3. he says, um, can you put it up on the screen? Let me show, let me show the church. Everybody read together once you go. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. So, our worship of God is where is where? In the spirit. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy to that woman at the well. That your fathers worship what they do not know. But the time is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship God in spirit and truth. Listen, so how we worship God, how we serve God, how we follow God is in the Spirit. There is no Christian who doesn't have the Holy Ghost. None. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you are not a Christian. Amen. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Ghost. Even if you think you don't.
1: Are you getting what I'm saying?
0: Now, if you think you don't, you think you don't because you don't know. It doesn't mean you don't have it. Have you ever gone through a season when a supper slapped you before? You are hungry. There's no money. You, are, you know all those times when you scrape all the money? You are, don't pretend like you've not done it before. You scrape all your accounts together to buy small food. And then you finish that money, that's one time. Then the next afternoon, you are hungry. You look everywhere. There's nobody to call. There's no credit to call. No data to... <laughs> there's nothing. You are just there praying to God to send a raven to give you food. And the day goes and somehow you eat. Then two weeks later, you're not washing one cloth. You're not seeing 1,000 in the pocket. That 1,000 has been there since. Even that day you were hungry. Now, let me ask you a question. That day you were hungry, did you have money? You had, but huh? You just didn't know that you had. Even if you had, right? In the same way, everyone who is a believer has the Holy Ghost. Even if you don't, you have the Holy Ghost. I put it to you. Do you understand? And I'm not saying this because uh, depending on where you received salvation. Mm -mm. I know that the Bible cannot lie. And the Bible has told me that um, everyone that believes will be saved. And everyone who believes is saved by receiving the Holy Ghost. Do you understand? It has already said so. So what I believe is the scriptures. Praise the Lord. So you find somebody who, who doesn't speak with tongues. Don't now say, hey, you don't have the Holy Ghost. We need to pray. Say after me. Holy Spirit, come into my life. It's a, it's a fruitless prayer. It won't have any more results than the person already has before. Because the person already has the Holy Ghost. What you should do is now take time to walk the person through it. Alright, let me show you a couple of scriptures. You open these ones. You show them how, if you've, if you've believed you've received the Spirit. Amen? Uh So you've received the Spirit. If you are not speaking with tongues, and from experience, it's usually like one of three things. It's either you were taught that if you speak in tongues, it's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost and you will never be forgiven. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that before. Yeah, it's one of that. So it's either that, of which the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is not, oh, there's another one, that if you laugh at someone speaking in tongues, is that you will never be, raise your hand if you heard that one too. That's not what it is. That's not what the Bible teaches. Matthew chapter 12 teaches differently. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is deliberately, um, even though you know it's the work of the Spirit, um, um, saying that what the Spirit has done is the work of demons and trying to get other people to not believe in the Holy Spirit. And it takes a lot of, like your heart has to be hardened to an extreme extent for you to behave like that. All right? So that's not blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. if you, if you laugh when someone's speaking in tongues, or you speak in what people call wrong tongues. So the, the first one is blasphemy. Then the second one is um, some people believe that tongues should be a known language. Right? A known language. So if you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking French. And I'll explain this another time, but that's not what the Bible teaches. When the Bible says they heard their languages, notice that the Bible didn't say the apostles were speaking, their, but rather they heard their languages. And then, like I, like I will always say, um, well, I don't think we're up to 120 here, or maybe we are. But if everybody in this room starts to speak with tongues right now, and you are standing outside, can you make out what any one person is saying? The noise would be too much. So, what you observed in Acts chapter 2 um, was a miracle. God working a miracle is that simple. All right. Another reason why people say, why people don't usually speak in tongues is that they expect the Holy Ghost to take their tongues and literally wag it and produce the sounds. No, he doesn't do that, okay? Um, you have to, he, the Bible says, they spoke as the Spirit gave utterance. What does that mean? The Spirit gave them the nudge to speak. So that feeling in your belly to speak. And then you just, whatever is coming out, just let it out. Then the last one is, it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't. Paul says when we speak with tongues, our understanding is unfruitful. What that means is, what we are saying is not making in fact, he says, if you, are speaking, if you are only speaking in tongues, how will somebody who is not learned come into church and know how to say amen? He said, would you not think that you have all gone mad? That's what Paul said. Yeah. So, um, So when you find somebody who doesn't speak with tongues, these are the things you should do. If I have 15 minutes to conduct a Holy Ghost baptism, I will spend 12 minutes teaching the person. I will teach you first, I will teach you well. Then the last three minutes, I'll now okay, let's pray together. I'm not praying for you. There's, there's nothing I'm going to do for you. I'm only going to pray along with you because there's power in corporate prayers. Do you understand? I'm only going to pray along with you. And then the Spirit is going to give you utterance. Just let it out. Most people that I have met that don't speak with tongues. I, I, I was talking to a pastor friend two nights ago. And he was telling me the very first time he spoke with tongues, nobody prayed for him. He was in his room. He was praying started speaking with tongues. Then he stopped himself and said, God, I'm sorry. You know. And that's it's, it's the experience that most people have. A lot of people who don't speak with tongues, in prayer times, um, when everybody's praying, the nudge to pray in tongues comes. But they usually suppress it. Do you understand? They would usually suppress it because they feel like, huh, I shouldn't be doing this. So many times you just need to encourage them that this is of the Spirit. How do I know that what I'm saying is correct? The same way you know you are saved, by faith. Do you understand? By faith. And this is the interesting thing. If you have received the Holy Spirit, you cannot speak wrong tongues. Amen. Yeah, you can't. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what, I feel led to do this. Is there anyone in the room who doesn't pray with tongues? Raise your hand. Is there anyone like that? Please don't be shy. Who doesn't pray with tongues? Is there anyone like that? Or is there anyone who doesn't pray with tongues and wants to? Because not everybody wants to speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to hell, which is another thing. You won't go to hell because you didn't speak in tongues. So you get to heaven and God is down. Let me see your tongue. It's too fresh. You don't use it enough. I don't know how I think of these things. Is there anybody who doesn't speak in tongues in church and wants to? Anyone? All right, stand to your feet. Let's just pray one minute. Let's just pray in tongues one minute and then wrap service up. Go ahead and pray. Everyone lift your voices and pray. Come on, go ahead, pray in the language of the Spirit. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.